All right, and welcome to a little bit of a morose episode of the Stadcast. Sam, I think this is the second postseason in a row that we've been able to talk about it, but once again, it has come up short. I am, of course, talking about our Milo Hamilton intro. All we want is somehow an Astros-Braves rematch. It would be their first time that they've played since that famous Chris Burke home run that you hear about in the intro. But the Braves and Astros both got to Game 7. They did it two very different ways, but they both lost to the best teams in the regular season in their respective leaves, leagues, and now we can say the best teams in the postseason in their respective leagues. Yeah, it's very upsetting to see such a predictable outcome happen in the World Series. Yeah, I mean, yeah, clearly the way that we got here is incredibly surprising. We are going to talk about it, and we are also going to give you a full World Series preview for what seems to be one of the best matchups we've had since, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago. I was going to say last year, but all right. Obviously, well, last year I think was a better series, but last year wasn't like the best teams in baseball playing each other like each of the past two postseasons had been. That's all I'm saying. So regardless, I think we're in for an incredible series. What do you think? Uh, I think we're in for a series, but... First, unfortunately, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Chris All right, welcome to another episode of the StatCast. Uh, so, we have had one of what I think is the most memorable postseasons in a long time. I, I kind of like the wild card series, even as crazy as it makes everything. But regardless, even though we had eight teams in each league, even though we almost had a team come back from 3 nothing, a team which didn't even finish over 500 in the regular season, we still ended with the two best teams, the only teams to win 40 games, the Rays and the Dodgers in the World Series this year. Sam, what are some highlights of this postseason for you? For me, it was getting to see baseball almost every day. I kind of didn't like it for the teams that had to play because their pitching just got absolutely decimated. And I think we saw it with the Braves that there's only so many guys that they can throw out there. Uh, highlights were seeing Randy... Rosarena raking all night, day, and in fact, year. Um, he's just putting the barrel of the bat on the ball every time he gets to the plate, much like Corey Seager, who couldn't stop hitting home runs. Mookie Betts couldn't stop rob- robbing home runs. It was the championship series were definitely, it was also nice to see Chapman blow it. That was cool. Yeah, he seems to have a tendency to do things like that. I don't know. Also, we should mention. I noticed this the other day. The Yankees have lost to the AL representative in the World Series each of the past four seasons. So I don't know if that's like the thing you brag about, the thing that makes you kind of like hang your head, but that is quite an accomplishment. And in the last two series, that Aroldis Chapman has given up um, massive bombs to the future AL representative in the World Series. So, I mean, that's impressive in the final and deciding game. 
But one of the, th- I guess, yeah, the two things that were, were the most exciting about this playoff, these playoffs are the teams that we are lucky to see play each other in the World Series is the Rays and the Dodgers. Like Cody Bellinger finally getting locked in and hitting bombs, robbing Fernando Tatis Jr. in a play that probably, deter- I don't know if it determined that series, but it at the very least determined that game. I don't know if you see the Dodgers here, if not for that. Um, you have the Rays, obviously Randy Rose around, but you also have guys like G-Man Choi hitting home runs, which you're kind of surprised by, or Yandy Diaz being incredible, or... Mike the Rays in, infield defense just oh absolutely my God. gobbling everything up. Yeah, the, the Rays, like, if they want, they can play a five-man infield. If they want, they can play a four-man outfield. They don't really care. They're going to shift on you at any point in time. And, like, obviously Joey Wendell and, and Willie Adamas might not be, like, the best hitters. Although, I guess Wendell's probably a little better hit than Adamas. But regardless, those guys on the left side of the infield, holy cow, we were talking about the wrong left side of the infield when you mentioned the Padres because... The Rays, wow, that has been quite fun to see. I mean, I so many double plays. The Rays do so many double plays. It's it's amazing to watch. But uh, yeah, this Rays team was incredible. I was going to mention Mike Zanino hitting an absolute missile that ended up being the third longest home run of this of the entire postseason. Like yeah, Mike Zanino of all people. The catcher for the Rays, who they kind of wanted at the beginning of the year, were kind of like, yeah, the Mariners just wanted to get rid of him. But I think, yeah, we've seen incredible games. Obviously, one of the stories of this postseason was, are the Houston Astros, that team hated by most, loved by a few, uh, actually going to make this World Series in 2020? Would it not be the most 2020 thing to happen? And it didn't. They almost pulled off a 2004 Red Sox-style uh come back from three nothing but you thankfully get to keep that all to yourself yeah but, it's mine now nobody can take it but yeah but i mean one interesting thing is the astros i don't know if they got favored by the way that this was drawn up but the two teams they had to play were the completely cursed twins in athletics so you kind of think they had it lined up and they actually would have played the rays since they were they technically had the eighth best record in the al if the playoff formatting had been a little different but they ended up playing the Rays for an incredible ALCS, and I think we all absolutely enjoyed that. But, yeah, on the NL side, like Sam said, the Braves were amazing. They actually went up 3-1 on the Dodgers, which is also, yeah, the Braves blew a 3-1 lead. Kind of sucks. but Also, teams with a 3-1 lead were 28-3. and <laughs> Until this? Yeah. Incredible. But yeah, Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about the Game 7s that we witnessed? Just a quick recap of those. Yeah, Game 7, Astros-Rays, Randy Rosarena strikes first for the Rays in a game pitched by Charlie Morton. We'll get to him in a second, but Rosarena hits a bomb, lifts the bat, his helmet flies off, it's a yard sale. He's literally just running around the bases without a helmet. Looks kind of weird. Charlie Morton pitches into the 6th and... This is such a low pitch count, but it gets taken out, and his runs do not get cashed. Um, Had been a first and second. Yep, and then Zanino hit the home hit a home run. Uh, it ended four two. Rays went to the World Series. Then Dodgers Braves Game Seven was a little bit more exciting. We had back and forth action. We had an RBI single by Ozuna in the first. We had a home run by Dansby in in the next inning. Then we had Kike Hernandez hit a home run. 
to tie the game. And we had more horrible base running by the Braves. Austin Riley ran into an out at third base for no reason when the Braves went on contact. Can yeah, can we for... can we talk about that play for a second? Yes. The Braves, like, they have an opportunity to strike. They have an opportunity they were winning, I believe, at the time. They have an opportunity to go up and like take a real legitimate lead. And Dansby, like they've been, they've been second and third. Dansby Swanson is off at the crack of the bat. He's just running. Like you can see him suddenly enter the frame as like the ball gets, the catcher gets close to the ball. And then you realize, oh wait, he actually is not going to be able to make it home. So he runs back to third and Justin Turner, who like, listen, I love Justin Turner. He's not like the fastest guy on the field. He's gotten they showed, a the top, they showed the top of his head a lot, and his bald spot is very apparent. Yeah, he's he's getting a little yeah, getting a little older. His defense also just hasn't been quite the same. But Justin Turner apparently wins rundowns in the most insane way. So he jump dives trying to tag Dansby Swanson, seems to miss, but then fires the ball to third to get Austin Riley there. Who I don't know why he took so long. But it, was he on first to begin that, or was he on second? Yes, it was. Okay, so he was on first. It was first. No, he was on second. Okay, yeah, he was on. Second. Yeah, he was on second. I thought so. And so somehow he takes. I don't even know how he ends up taking that long. Maybe he's just like watching the play and is like, "Hmm, okay, I guess this is the right time to break for third. He's out easily. And on replay, it's he's like, not easily. That's the thing. He on replay, oh. he looked very safe, but they just didn't challenge okay. for some reason. Yeah. Well. We ended up seeing, though, that Dansby Swanson got tagged on his cleat, of all things. Yes, by, by, the, by the skin of his cleat. But this, I don't even know how you pull that off. Like, somehow those are like, it's you have two toot plans at once. You're getting thrown on the base like, bases like a nincompoop. There were two nincompoops for the Braves and two runners in scoring position who could have helped you, I don't know, win that ball game. Both end up getting caught in basically a double play where both players got out within like 20 feet of each other right near third base, which is the absolute worst play. That's the absolute worst place to make those outs. So let me, let me break this down. It's second and no, it's second and third one out and they run on contact, right? Yes. So Dansby, Dansby is going on contact. He sees if he sees the ball hit hit downwards and it's not going to be caught. He's he's running. He ran. So yeah, you yeah you can't blame him for that because he was, was doing was, what he was told. You it was, well, hold, it on. Was, it hold was, on hold on hold on. There were no outs. There were no outs. But yeah, there were no outs. Okay, still he's going on contact. That that decision by the coach is it, it's it's not good. You shouldn't run second, third, no out the contact play. But regardless. He runs the contact play, does the right thing, gets in the rundown so the guy on second can get to third. The, what should happen there is you stay in the rundown long enough for the runner on second to just, the runner on second should just immediately break for third. Yeah, absolutely. When, that, when, when he sees that he should be following the runner. He should be following the runner in front of him. There shouldn't have been any moment where Riley should have stopped. So none of this was on Dansby Swanson because he stayed in that rundown well long enough. This is on Austin Riley and the Braves for running the contact play with nobody out. Yes. I mean, like, they were also basically gifted runners on second and third because they had runners on first and second. Interestingly enough, like, I don't know, if there's runners on first and second, then you probably have the play at third and maybe even a double play because Marcakis is the guy who got the hit on the first place. But no, they were gifted second and third because Blake Trinan had a wild pitch. 
And so Swanson and Riley were able to get to third, second, and third. But in the end, they both get thrown out in an incredibly embarrassing way, and the Braves end up losing the ball game by just one run. Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about that game, like, we actually, I think, we had two absolute dominations by pitchers. One was in relief. One was a starter. Like, you mentioned Charlie Morton. He was Charlie effing Morton last night, like, two nights ago. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. He induced seven ground balls. Six strikeouts. He allowed two hits, both of which were infield hits that just, I mean, they counted. They like, maybe they shouldn't have counted. They were just like, sort of like these soft little ones that, you know, kind of got away from people too. But Charlie Morton, he won game seven for the Astros back in 2017 in the ALCS. He won the, the World Series game in 2017 for the Astros. Charlie Morton actually. For, for all pitchers in the postseason with 19-plus innings, because Charlie Morton has 19 two-thirds innings in winner-take-all games, Charlie Morton has the second-best ERA in postseason history at 0. 0.46. One, one po- yeah, it's just unbelievable. And it's all happened within a four-year stretch at the end of his career. Yeah, when he was like this nobody in the Pirates for God knows how long. And then the, the thing that turns his career around, it, crazily enough, is like... Basically blowing out his basically blowing out his knee, I believe, as a hitter. Or he was possibly running to first base. I don't know if it remembers if it was as a hitter or a pitcher, but he blows out his knee. It's a non-contact injury. The Astros are able to scoop him up on the cheap. Uh, they actually, they, there's a story where it said that they offered him um, seven million, and he was like, "Oh, sweet, they're offering me." And it was for two years, and he's like, "Sweet, two years, seven million dollars, three and a half million a year. I would absolutely take that." And they're like, "No, two years, seven million each." Because he didn't even realize, like, they, he had no idea why he'd be valued that highly. And what the Astros taught him to do, I remember Charlie Morton saying once, is they taught me to just throw as hard as I could. And that ended up spiking his fastball velocity up. And, they, yeah, they picked him up off the scrappy. But then, in what I believe is the Rays' largest free agent signing ever for a pitcher, yeah, they offered Charlie Morton two years and $30 million with an option for another year come pitch in Tampa Bay that the Astros really, really, really dumb idea refused to match. And so now Charlie Morton and the Rays have eliminated the Astros uh, once again in winner-take-all games. Uh, he beats Lance McCullers, which is funny because McCullers pitched in the other two winner-take-all games he was in with the Astros. But Charlie Morton's incredible. And I think you could probably guess who has the best ERA in winner-take-all games of pitchers who have played na- pitched 19-plus innings. Yeah, it's Mad Bum. With an ERA, I'm just going to say, of 0. Point, wait for it, zero, 0 Yeah. The only other guy to actually have an ERA below 3 is John Smoltz at 0.74. So those three guys are in an absolute league of their own in winner-take-all postseason games. Garrett Cole is fourth best at 309, which is not even in the same ballpark or league even. So that's impressive. Another impressive thing I thought was Julio Urias. So we've seen lots of strikeouts this postseason. We've seen lots of home runs. We've seen a lot of offense, basically, and also a lot of swing and miss. Julio Urias struck out nobody in his innings, uh, closing out the Dodgers win, and he allowed no hits either. He just was told to shut down the Braves. He has a relatively decent history in the postseason of actually pitching really, really well when it matters, even as such a young guy. And he delivered when it counted more than ever before. And so 
He just has some just masterful stuff, and he just sent the Braves home as easily as one, two, three. So that those two absolutely impressed me the other other last couple nights. I mean, yeah, it seemed like the Braves were kind of defeated after the Bellinger home run. Yeah, it it was kind of sad. Yeah, in a way. Because you kind of saw the stereotype get reinforced and yeah, yada, yada, Atlanta sports, fourth and 18. We get it. I just think it's impressive that Julio Urias faces everybody in the lineup once in inning seven through nine to they're all trying to win this game for their team. I mean, I assume they're trying. It's not like they gave up, even if they were deflated a little bit and not one of them can do it. Not a single one of them can get on, can get a hit off of him. Hmm. Yeah, it's not one even gets on base. Yeah. So that was impressive. Obviously, the Dodgers pitching and the Rays' pitching is going to be a huge part of this series. But do you have any parting thoughts for this MLB postseason before we get into our World Series breakdown? Uh, the Reds will be back. That's it. The Reds will be back? What about the Marlins? Yeah. Uh, they might be back. Might be back. You'd, you'd, you'd know about more about it. I know. I'm, I'm the Marlins guy. Not to be confused with the other Marlins guy. <laughs> but yeah. So let's get to the World Series. Let's get to Dave Roberts, teary-eyed after Game 7 of the NLCS, with his voice shaking, saying, this is our year, and you know what? I just might believe it with this Dodgers team. So this has been the year that everyone expected them to be the best team in baseball because everything lined up for them. They mostly had the same team as last year. They lost a couple pitchers. They have a couple new pitchers. But most of all, they have Mookie freaking Betts, who has been, in my opinion, the best player in the National League this postseason. Uh, I, I would say Corey Seager. Corey Seager is also clearly up for debate. But so, Sam, this Dodgers team, how they got here, what do you have to say about them? Well, they got here in kind of the way that you would expect them to get here, which is easily until it really got down to the nitty-gritty 43 and 17 in the regular season crazy run differential played a doormat team the brewers played a technical doormat team in the padres because they didn't have any of their pitchers healthy then they got to the braves who kind of surprised them because the dodgers hadn't really seen much real competition in a while um because they've been playing the same teams for the past three months and they went up 2-0 and then 3-1 and kind of put their foot on the gas and just started hitting home runs. And Kershaw didn't... I was surprised that Roberts didn't put Kershaw in in Game 7. Yeah, but you know what? I think Dave Roberts actually learned from his mistakes. But, like, I, I, I think he's a coward for, learn, from, for learning from his mistakes. Why? Because you want Kershaw to just be, like, giving up the game when it absolutely matters the most? No, I want to see Kershaw. I kind of want to see people shut up about Kershaw because, like, it's almost never his fault. <laughs> like, exercise those demons somehow. I feel like we haven't, we've seen, like, a little bit of playoff Kershaw, but we haven't seen the playoff Kershaw. We kind of, like, at the time we expect it to happen. I think that we get, like, a moment during this World Series where it's make or play, break playoff Kershaw time. I mean, and I could see it. Yeah. And if we don't, I think that might just have to do with the fact that. We've got extra off days in this World Series where unlike the last series where both, I mean, they were both seven game series, which was great enough as it is, but both of those series were played seven games in a row in the ALCS. 
Not going to happen. We've got a regular World Series this year, even though they're going to stay in Arlington the entire time. There's going to be a day break after Game 2. There's going to be a day's break after Game 5. So people, those teams are going to be able to just go to a four-man rotation. They're going to be able to reset their pitchers. They're going to be able to throw guys, starters in relief. And so I absolutely would not be surprised if we get some playoff Kershaw moments just because he probably goes in games one and five and then is absolutely available for a couple innings in game seven. If yeah, it happens. I, yeah. I mean, one of the most intriguing things to me about this series, yeah, I think we should talk about the pitching first because while both teams are good hitters, like they have good hitters, I might say the Dodgers have the best hitters while the Rays have the more consistent hitters. The pitching... But we'll, we'll get into that later, yeah, but yes. Yeah, the pitching, I mean, so... The team with the second-best bullpen in the majors this year was Los Angeles. The team with the third-best bullpen in the majors this year was Tampa Bay. They, unsurprisingly, are in the postseason. They took some very different routes to get here. Like, the Dodgers had a mid-playoffs closer crisis in Kenley Jansen, but he seems to be all right, but also, like, he seems to be all right. We don't actually know if that's going to be true going into the World Series, and, like, if you have a game one or game two situation where Roberts calls in Kenley and he lets the first couple men on, which we absolutely have seen before. So I'm sure they're worried about that. Uh, but the Rays, do you want to like talk about the Rays bullpen, which is done so uniquely? Yeah, the Rays bullpen is kind of weird because I feel like it's actually kind of almost underperformed this postseason, especially yeah. in the ALCS. So the bullpen is comprised of approximately 10 guys that throw 99 uh, with insane movement. Um, there's Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado, Peter Fairbanks, who's making a name for himself. John Curtis, Shane McClanahan, who I believe made his debut in the postseason, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan Thompson, Nick Anderson, who's a strikeout guy. Josh Fleming, Aaron Loop, who's just a weird guy. Aaron Loop yeah. is one of the more insane pitchers in baseball. I think like his horizontal release point is just sort of nuts. He just like throws an absolute. The, the funny thing I think about Thompson and Loop is that they both they throw almost like the opposite way from different sides of the mound. So like while Loop is like stretching out, like Loop is stretching out one way. Loop is literally stretch stepping at the at a left handed hitter. Yeah, and Thompson meanwhile is basically just stepping at a right handed hitter. They this this season they actually were eat they each had the second most extreme release point of any lefty for loop and any righty for Thompson and among like the lowest release points in all of baseball. Yeah, they had that graphic uh, on about the the pitch clock. You see the um where they had like the hands of the clock were like yeah. the different release points. That was fun. Yeah, with the rate. That was the one. That was the one thing that they did right because the thing that they did with like showing the grips side by side in the NLCS was so poorly done because the three pitches that they would show would all start somewhere different and end somewhere different. It's like they've never heard yeah. of pitch tunneling. And so yeah, like one interesting thing that in like the Rays Astros series was the difference. Michael Mike Petrelli did a good article about this on Lavita.com, but about the differences between release points. And so he mentions that that's something that he's wondered about, but also no one has done a lot of research in. I wondered about this as well. It's because sometimes you see teams absolutely crush off of another team's bullpen. Sometimes you see the other bullpen just absolutely put a great offense to sleep. And one theory that it seems like the Rays are getting behind is 
Well, if all of your guys have weird looks coming out of them, then a team that just faced one guy who throws one way, like if you have throw Ryan Thompson and that is if throw Thompson and then loop, like I don't even know what you're seeing there. So it's an intriguing question of whether or not basically like there's some sort of gamesmanship in within just like the place where the pitcher lets go of the ball from because you know that MLB hitters are trying to get any advantage they can. And if something is going on funky kind of there, then they're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's, I began by saying like they all throw 98, which is like probably the only thing that they have in common. Yeah. Like the only guy who doesn't throw 98 is uh, Brian Yarbrough. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? Like him and he and his actually 84 mile per hour four seamer. Yeah, Ryan Yarbrough, nobody really talked about him in 2018. He was uh, the encore man, came in after the opener, and he would, he, I think, got 16 wins out of the bullpen, which is fun. That was fun to me. He had like a three ERA in 2018 and 2019, and he throws an 85-mile-an-hour fastball on a 70-mile-an-hour curveball from the left side, and nobody can seem to hit it. Yeah. And... He's just a weird pitcher, but and he's exactly the type of pitcher that the Rays would have would have. Like he's he would not work on anybody but the Rays. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, we should mention not only like his the pitches he throws don't really do very much. His curveball actually drops like seven inches less than the average curveball, but it nevertheless uh, is a really great pitch. His changeup is the is actually does some stuff, and he throws that one. Around, like more than any other pitch that one actually has a really good drop but like even this year it wasn't nearly as good of a drop as it has been the last two years and yet it's still been a good pitch but he like you said no one can get a hit off of him uh he ranks in the top 10 in both exit velocity and hard hit percentage in baseball meaning he barely allows anyone yeah, to hit the ball hard off of him or to get the ball hit hard off of him at all and He's this guy, like, he can throw you however many many innings you want, as long as it's not more than, like, four or so, whenever you want. He's been an opener. He's been a starter. He's been a reliever. I think he's closed a couple times, but, like, not really because the Ra- he technically has, but the Razors, Rays obviously have a closer by committee situation to an extreme degree. Also, he doesn't strike out anybody or walk anybody. It, it just doesn't happen when he's on the mound. He's inducing ground balls constantly. That a 43% rate and a set versus a 17% fly ball rate where that is just something almost unheard of. Yeah. He's, he's almost a throwback sinker baller to guys like Brandon Webb who just threw the sinker and relied on ground balls and not strikeouts. Yeah. And like mentioning that Yarbrough's, uh, whatchamacallit, his fastball, forcing fastball average velocity this postseason was the second lowest in the postseason. And the Josh only, Tomlin must have been number one, right? No, the only guy lower was Dallas Keuchel, who people have been comparing to Brandon Webb for his entire career. But yeah. But yeah, well, again, like you were saying earlier, the Rays actually have the highest average fastball velocity in the entire postseason at 96.5. Tyler Glasnow is someone who his fastball has actually spiked this postseason and is now, it was at around a little under 97 in the regular season, is now at 98.1 in the postseason. And he's been phenomenal. And I assume that we're going to see him starting in game one against Clayton Kershaw, which should be quite a game. But so what other pitchers on either team are you 
do you think we should talk about more? Are you intrigued by in this series? Uh, I think we have to talk about the Dodgers bullpen and how it gets employed. Obviously, Gratterall, I feel like, is the best in that bullpen. He literally throws 101 from the standstill. Um, it's kind of weird. Kind of weird how Red Sox just looked at him and said, nah, I don't want that. That doesn't seem like anything that would play in the major leagues. Nah. No, definitely not. 101 from a standstill. It's just not, that just doesn't, it's not what you see in today's game. You know, it's not what gets outs. Yeah. Um, oh, he also I think doesn't he's number strike one. anyone out, which is hilarious. Yeah. He, that he throws that fast and doesn't strike people out. But yeah, keep going. Then you got Pedro Baez, who on top of taking 10 years to throw the ball every time he gets it, is actually not imploding this year. Um, you have Blake Trinan, who has been very good despite a lot of contact. Um, you, you obviously mentioned Urias. Um, Joe Kelly, it seems like a very, I don't think he'll get used that much. Um, Caleric might just, I don't think he'll do much either. Kenley Jansen, we talked about him. He seems like Craig Kimbrell right now. He lost some, yeah, he lost some mouth off his fastball, but he might be back. Blake Trinan. I know, he got Blake Trinan, who is another interesting uh, possibility who we think should be doing well. Like, has been doing well this season in sort of a redemptive year from last year, after the year before that actually being phenomenal. But he also has been a little little shaky in this postseason. So I'm not quite sure what we see out of him. Yeah, I don't, I necessarily wouldn't trust Blake Trinan. I, he's, I think his numbers tell us that he's kind of been getting the lo- the lower part of the lineup more than the upper, more than the top of the lineup. Yeah, and he's allowed four runs this postseason. He's let home run. Uh he's allowed only he's only gotten one more strikeout than he's allowed earned runs, which is a little not great. Yeah. But nevertheless, he's got three holds. He's got a four fifteen ERA in eight games played this postseason. So we will see what he is able to do. Who do you think has the advantage there? Relievers, I would say, I think I think it's close. I don't trust the Dodgers relievers as much as I trust the Rays relievers. But at the same time, the only reason I'm saying that is because the Rays kind of have a bunch of no-name guys who, like, if you're like, oh, he didn't do well, you're like, oh, well, yeah, but he wasn't supposed to do well as everyone else. And so it's sort of like, see, it's almost like a, the bullpen appears greater than the sum of its parts with the Rays. Well, the Dodgers, it seems like they're the more volatile team because of all the big names there, but actually they really do a great job of getting the job done. But again, I, I think the Rays. I do too. So, um, so moving on to starters, um, we have, obviously for the Rays, we got Glasnow, Snell, Morton, and I threw in Yarbrough in there. Um, I'm sure he'll the Dodgers. start at least one yeah. game or pitch then, deeply in there. Yeah. And then you got the Dodgers with Kershaw, Bueller, Gonsolin, and May. I don't think Urias will start. I think he'll more be in the bullpen. But interesting... But I think um, he throws like several innings when he does play. Yeah, I think he, I think he'll uh, chow down on some innings, as they say. Yeah. And so breakdown wise, I mean, Kershaw is very. It's a mystery of what we're gonna get from him because he started the postseason well. Kind of, you can see him fading a little bit. We haven't really seen much of him, honestly, because Dayros has actually avoided using him. Yeah. Bueller. His had the blister that John Smoltz couldn't stop talking about, which got so annoying. Um, but his game six start was just absolutely insane. He didn't really seem like 
none of the hitters could really hit him. And I think that's who he's actually going to be is a guy that's really just unhittable. Um, Gonsolin did okay. Um, I think if the if he can allow kind of in the neighborhood of a three ERA in the postseason or in the this World Series, I think the Dodgers would be happy with that. Then you got Dustin May, who I think gets um, looked over a lot, and because I think not a lot of people are talking about the fact that he really didn't do well in the championship series. He was throwing hard, yeah, he was throwing like really hard, but he was very much not getting many outs. He was walking a lot of guys. He was pitch count was so super high, and I don't think he went more than two innings in either of his starts. Because I think his he just started walking everybody. I don't think that the Dodgers are used to openers. I think that they're more used to how should I say it? They're more used to like starters coming in and pitching a few innings at a time. But like I don't know. For the last several postseasons, we've seen teams play pit throw starters whenever they're basically saying I'm going to throw my best pitcher at whatever time suits them. Whenever I can, I'm going to put them in the game. And so the issue is like. You're supposed to do that with your best starters, not just a random guy. You're like, oh, I bet he could do this. I bet he's uh, ready to do this. But no, MLB players do actually have routines. You hear David Garcia and Jay Happ say after the Yankees do it, like, yeah, we didn't really know what we we're doing. This isn't sort of what we had prepped for. I don't know if Jay Happ is any better if he's just pitching by himself. But nevertheless, I mean, it's just something new for them. And so Gonsolin... I think he's been fine in the job, but I think he is. It's clearly shown that, like, if you sort of like how you Darvish seemed to be tipping his pitches, or maybe the signs are being stolen, but I think he was tipping his pitches as well uh, in the last post in the last World Series, and the Dodgers just lost two games because of that, and you're kind of crippled in a World Series if you ha- can't can't count on winning two games in that in the, at one point, or even if you're like one point. Well, it's kind of a throwaway. They got to throw their best pitchers whenever. And so I would throw Gonsolin very little. I wouldn't risk an opener because one thing that has mattered, that's been proven more than ever, is that every inning matters. The third inning could be the most, the third inning of game three could be the absolute turning point of the entire World Series. And if your pitcher is just allow, has just allowed 10 runs in it, that's sort of a bad thing to be happening because then you just, lost your game even like when you had a chance of maybe limiting that so that's a long-winded answer of saying i don't think they should be using gonsolin as an opener but no they shouldn't be using gonsolin as an opener. moving on to the race stars you got glass now who's had some trouble with the long ball but otherwise has been good um snell who's also had a little bit of trouble with the long ball but i think both of those guys they just faced teams that just love to hit home runs and then morton who I really don't have any doubt that he's going to do well. And Yarbrough, I don't have much doubt that he's going to do well, but I know for a fact that he's not going to shut anybody out. I think he'll do a fine job of making the game winnable. But I think Morton's not going to lose a game in which he starts. And I think Glasnow and Snell, um, if they're really on, can just shut shut guys down. I, I would think that the Rays have the advantage here in starting pitching. I absolutely do. Yeah, like I said, I think Blake Snell has the best raw stuff of any starter in the league. It just is how long he's able to throw it for because we saw during the Astros series that like 
he was working a lot of three-two counts, and he was letting guys get on base, and so he was pissed at Kevin Cash for it. But Cash made the right decision in pulling him when he did, even though the Rays eventually lost that game. So Snell, yeah, as long as he keeps things stable, I think he should be absolutely like the Rays should be favored in every game that he pitches in, even if they're going up against uh, an amazing Walker Buehler game. Honestly, similar pitchers in a lot of ways, and that they both can absolutely strike out a lot of guys, but for whatever reason, sometimes they get wild. Maybe it's blister issues. Maybe it's, I don't really know what Snell, maybe you can't look at his release point or something like that. But I think Snell, both Snell and Glasnow are very comparable to Bueller and, and that their pitch count will be high. Yes. And um, regard, regardless of whether they're doing well or not. Even if they have phenomenal stuff going. Yeah. Kershaw is the kind of guy who. You assume his pitch gun is going to be pretty low because he actually has, yeah. he's got a lot better control than Glass now, Snell, or Bueller. Yeah, Kershaw and Morton, I think, are very comparable in that aspect. Yeah, the thing with Morton is that he never goes late in games. Um, it's just not a thing that he does. He's like he's set of a five, maybe six innings and out kind of guy. That's why he like, for instance, has closed games before, like he closed Game Seven of the twenty seventeen World Series, yep. which is the most impressive thing you can do as a pitcher getting like a four inning save in a game like that but with no runs allowed but i guess i mean with the rest of this raise uh the race starters yeah your if yarborough is the weakest link on your team and he is absolutely used to opening or starting or whatever you end up having in what's most likely going to be game four and for the dodgers you've got urias and may who have been good this postseason but not sure if you can trust them or Gonsolin, who I don't think you can trust. I think that the Rays just have the advantage just overall. Like Charlie Morton's going to go game three, probably game seven if that exists. And uh, here's a question I got for you. Mm-hmm. Let's say Dodgers are up 3-2 and Blake Snell is struggling early in game six. Charlie Morton will have had not enough rest in my opinion, but he'll still have had four days of rest. Do you pull him and put in Charlie Morton, or do you just cross your fingers, throw your bullpen at it, and hope that no, he will have had five days? He will have had five days of rest because you have a game off day after so, both. No, because then he, he would just oh, Morton, Morton, yeah, Morton, Morton yeah, Morton, yeah, yes. So is that uh, the kind of? It depends. It depends on how much I'm losing by. So here's a here's something that I thought the Braves should have done. It's game two. Game... The Dodgers. Have already scored a couple of runs and they loaded the bases with no outs in the second inning. Are you throwing in Charlie Morton? But well, before you present that to me, I want I kind of want to throw this out there. Game five, Braves were up in the sixth inning, I believe. Yeah, I don't I I don't see why you don't think about putting Frieda in if you want to have it's, it the best be chance the of not letting. Let's like it's the effectively bringing in Chris the Chris Sale in. The ALDS that one time, not against the Astros, against the Yankees. Yeah. He, where he just came in and, and it's the reasoning behind it is like he's the best at limiting the amount of runs while getting outs. Yeah. And he can get a, a larger amount of outs without limiting runs than, say, Chris Martin or Shane Green can because Martin and Green will only go really one or they'll only get three or four or five outs at a time. And sometimes they can't even do that. But I think Freed would have gotten, could have gone the rest of the game and he could have shut them down. Yeah. Cause you had... I don't, I, I don't know why that, that isn't, you can see the writing on the wall as, as to where like, man, if we lose this game five, it's going to be very, um, 
tough to win game six against Bueller. And then if we lose game six and all everybody, the momentum's firmly in the Dodgers hands. I, I think Freed was, should have been the option there. Yeah. And then, and then if it doesn't work, you throw Anderson in game six. To be fair, to be fair, you had a man on second with two outs in the sixth inning, unless you're saying, oh, actually, no, I think no, the best, obviously you would yeah. start, you would, no, I would have, no, obviously the start, the starter should never come in, in the middle of the inning. Because they they they're not used to it. They would. I would always have him start an inning. You're saying so. To so I would have him start in, the sixth in, the, in game five. Yeah, I see what you mean. And then like he probably can go a few innings in game seven if need be, because you know yeah. at the very least you're going to be playing a game seven if the Dodgers actually make it that far. I think I agree with that there. But is that a little bit like Clayton Kershaw in game five of the NLDS in 2019? No, no. And here's why: Kershaw has a track record. That's number one. Yeah. He has a track record of not doing well in the postseason. Number two, Dodgers had a lot of other options they could have gone with. There, there didn't really seem to be a reason to yeah. put Kershaw in. That's fair. You know, they had enough pitchers. The Braves didn't really. They just were throwing the same guys out there after, over and over again. I see. Yeah, yeah. They didn't like. They were. They treated it as if it was a regular season game, not as if oh, we're facing the top of the Dodgers lineup in a game that we absolutely need to win if or at least very much should win if we're going to make it to the World Series. The World Series is within our grasp and they th- throw Shane Green against Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Will Smith, etc. I guess it's just the I didn't see much urgency from the Braves to win game 5. Yeah. They kind of were relying on all right, we'll be fine in game 6 and if we and all will be fine in game 7. Yeah. But it's the it's, exact opposite of what teams like the Astros and the Nationals and the Rays and the Yankees, well, somewhat the Yankees, well, or the Red Sox somewhat, have been doing in these past postseasons and why they've been so successful. The Dodgers even, they've tried to do things like that, even if they haven't always succeeded at it. So, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I and you're right about that. I, I'm, very, I'm very, like, this is a, this is something that's near, not near and dear to my heart, but it's it's something that I think about constantly and wonder why more teams don't do it. It's very much like you why would you play conservative in the postseason when you have a 3-1 lead and yeah. you have the lead in a clinching game? Why would you play conservative and say, well, we want him to be ready for game six or we want him to be ready for game seven? The You have the lead right now. It's That's not how you should be talking. It should be, how am I going to get these last 15 or so outs? Who do I think is going to be the best guy? And another thing... It, it, there's a lot of things that I want to get, that I would have wanted to get into about that se- about that series. Yeah, I understand. No, you, I mean, keep going, please. Okay, I'll keep sec. going. You can All right, a half hour in here for sure. Yeah. So the Braves really, I am upset about how they wasted incredible outings from Bryce Wilson and from AJ Minter. They obviously Kyle Wright didn't work out, but and you know that's the game that you should lose. It's like, well, you know, we're kind of. Yeah, it's it's not dire situation that we win, like that we throw somebody on short rest here. And, you know, I didn't. Yeah, it's like you can't waste that. Yeah, I mean, it's just game five was the old was the Minter went three really, innings, led one hit, struck out seven. Come on. Yeah, it's just you can't waste that kind of an outing. Yeah. It's it's yeah like like we've said some managers have discovered it some haven't Dusty Baker thankfully like even though he's not AJ Hinch he still was able to realize yeah every inning matters Kevin Cash obviously realized every inning matters 
And the Braves, who not only have they not been here before, but they had a chance last year. And Mike Fultonevich just... Honestly, it almost like it shocks me like how this Braves team has been at moments so good, but at other moments relied on utterly unproven young starters in the playoffs and how it has worked out for them sometimes, but sometimes it has failed in such spectacular fashion. I, th- I think we've done enough on this. Yeah. The Braves, I think it's, time to the, 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 it's not an offseason podcast, but clearly the Braves need to go out and chase some real starting pitching the summer before their stars get start getting too expensive. I disagree with that, but no? we'll move on. No, they have Soroka's coming back. Oh, is he going to be nope, healthy? Like, yes. Okay. Okay, I'll take that. But also, I think they need another guy. Just like literally, they, did, they had Ham- they had Hamels and Felix. They just didn't. Okay, okay. Those guys would have been good in 2010, not 2020. But this is you're not asking a for better. You're asking for better veteran starting pitching in the playoffs. I want a guy who you drop at least 50 million on and feel decent about it so i mean that doesn't mean pay felix hernandez 50 million dollars it means find a guy who i don't be willing to open the pocketbook although i know braves ownership likes being cheap but who doesn't they tried they tried to get so many so many things yeah this is not the podcast to do it on though yes it's we'll we'll get to that another time uh but yeah so we talked about the pitching the pitching i think is going to be great we talked about like our thoughts on how we think the pitching should be done. I assume, I think you and I both assume that the pitching is going to be one of the most, probably the most fascinating part to watch in the World Series. But why don't we, I think we should go uh, position by position, break down who's got the advantage, who's better. Is it a little advantage? Is it a lot of an advantage? Do you want to start? Man, you really sound like Mike Petriello right now. We should know that we were, we had this podcast planned for a while. Yes. And- and about four hours I, ago on MLB.com, we see Mike Petriello position by position breakdown. Yes. Yes. Friend, friend of the show. Yeah. Mike Petriello. And man, friend, it's quote unquote. Not anymore. Oh, no, come not on. anymore. Oh, that's that's no. Uh, and it was just we had a time and he had a time that sometimes it just so happened. Sometimes uh, you miss your publishing deadline. And unfortunately, we missed ours. But regardless. We're going to, I assume most people listening to this probably haven't read the article. So we're going to go position by position. We're going to talk about it. It's very intriguing uh, playoffs. So regardless. And one thing we haven't mentioned, actually, I should mention, we do a lot of times we go through uh, like hitting and pitching or in basketball, we go through positions and we're like, okay, this team will have the advantage against this other team because of this reason or because of that reason. But actually in a series like this, where both teams have two righties, one lefty, and then another lefty they're probably going to start. Both teams have a really good mix of players in the bullpen, and both teams are, and always have been, phenomenal at platooning. There aren't really advantages that you have here or like, oh, that's a huge hole that this team, the other team is just going to take advantage of. That does not exist in a series like this. Both of these teams are rock solid top to bottom, uh, have legitimate star power, even if at different positions, and so... This is going to be a lot closer than other things will be. So let's get right into it. So let's start with catcher. So we have the Dodgers have Will Smith as their catcher, and then the Rays have Zanino, Mike Zanino. I think it's obvious that Dodgers have the advantage here. Will Smith had the professional at bat against, um, who was it? Oh, right, Will Smith. Yes. Um, man, Twitter 
Twitter blew up with the same same joke over and over again when that happened. Um, and yeah, Will Smith had like a hundred and sixty OPS plus in the regular season in a small sample size. Um, very good um, hitting. Zanino doesn't really do much other than hit home runs, and he doesn't hit many home runs. I guess he hit a couple in the um, championship series. Um, I think the clear advantage here is with the Dodgers, because unlike Zanino, Will Smith can actually you know reach base safely in other ways than the home run. Yeah, I agree with you. Like we mentioned, Mike Zanino might be hitting some home runs when it counts, but regardless, he's not just not a, as good of a hitter as Will Smith. Smith like is hitting fifth in the Dodgers lineup on some nights. He is playing DH when he's not playing the catcher position because when Austin Barnes is playing, uh, Perez for the Rays is like, I mean, he's okay, but he also can't hit. Zanino was a below average hitter this year. Um, Will Smith was clearly an above average hitter this year. And I think he is absolutely like just a better hitter and better play overall than Mike Zanino is. So moving on, we have first base. Um, Dodgers will have Max Muncy and the Rays will platoon a bit with Yandy Diaz and G-Man Choi. Although Diaz um, might also play third base and DH at some other times. True. Um, I think this advantage is with the Dodgers, mainly because Muncy is such a professional hitter. He really doesn't chase outside the zone. Um, and he's been really locked. I feel like he's, the numbers might not say it, but he's been locked in these playoffs. Um, he's really seeing the ball well. Had a well. great NLCS, we should mention. Had a great NLCS. Had the key walk before the Smith home run. Um, has laid off so many tough pitches. And Choi has been, you know, a fire, a firecracker for sure. Um, he's a an electric personality, and he hit the he had a big home run, and he's just a fun guy to watch. But I think Muncie's a a decent bit better. Um, when it comes to the whole offensive package. Well, I would normally agree with you. I kind of have to disagree here. I think the Rays have a little bit of an advantage. Obviously, Muncy had a terrific NLCS, but if you want to look at this entire season, he hasn't quite been up to his standards as far as hitting goes. One of, one of the more intriguing things that I saw in Baseball Savant is the most similar hitting profile to G-Men Choi is actually Max Muncy, as crazy as that sounds. But I don't know. The thing about Muncy is obviously there are times where he gets hot. He did hit 12 homers in 2020, but he also had a 192 batting average and a 720 OPS. So while he's, I think he's will be able to get on base, and I think he hits the ball a little harder than G-Man Choi, I don't know if there's that much of a difference. And one huge part of this is, I think, going to be defense. And both teams... Well, they both hit home runs. They also hit ground balls. And we know that both these teams are going to be doing a lot of shifting, trying to take advantage of platoons. And G-Man Choi, from everything I've seen, is just a better hitter than, sorry, better defender than Max Muncy. And so I really like the advantage in that end. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm overrating him, but G-Man Choi has absolute success against like guys who throw high heaters. Like some players like Brewster Gratterall. And so if you see like a Brewster Gratterall versus G Man Choi matchup, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, G Man Choi might actually be hitting the ball out of the ballpark on something like that. Because he, for instance, 
hit a 90 like Josh James probably throws harder than anybody on else on the Astros you know who took Josh James deep in the ALCS G-Man Choi and he puts up good at bats even if they're not quite as good as Max Muncie and so I'm gonna put the much more fun in my opinion G-Man Choi over Muncie here also I think Yandy Diaz is a good player too and so that's a helpful platoon to have all right, moving on to second base. This is a very eh, position for both teams. Oh, uh, it's, okay. You can say that. It's Chris Taylor versus and Kike Hernandez versus Brandon Lau, which I think obviously T- Tampa Bay would have this one. Brandon Lau's regular season was phenomenal. Um, he had an OPS, I believe, above 900. Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez are very much, they complement each other, but that doesn't really work well when only one of them is playing at a time. And it doesn't really work in baseball in general because if you can't hit well in one aspect, like Kiki Hernandez doesn't seem to know how to hit anything but home runs. And Chris Taylor, I don't think, is very... Nothing but clutch home runs, specifically. Yeah, I don't think Chris Taylor is very productive. He's very much just, I I would say, very an average player. Yeah, but I I regard him very much as as the most average player in baseball. So I would say the Rays have the advantage here. Yeah, Rays clearly have the advantage here. Brandon Lau, once again, although although like uh, baseball savant's defensive system does not like the Rays infield, that's partly because it's partly just the fact that they're positioned so well and they're very good at dealing with stuff when they have to. Maybe not because of their range necessarily, but Brandon Lau was playing in a four man outfield at some point. Not just like the guy. Oh, he's like a little bit in right field. No, he was playing he's a legitimate right center track. field yeah legitimate right center field brandon Lau was one of the best hitters in baseball this year and even like he mostly hasn't been good this postseason but he's sort of been heating up lately especially in the alcs he's it seemed like he was a few things were starting to click that absolutely were not earlier on and so i kind of feel like he's the guy who has a really good world series against this dodgers team and absolutely can show up against them i mean he's a lefty hitter He's going to be facing a lot of righties than like he was in the series against the Astros was facing a lot of righties. And so I kind of see him having, not only do I see the Rays having a clear advantage here, I kind of think Brandon Lau might even be my pick for among Rays position players for a possible world series MVP. Third base. I I'm going to throw out a hot cake here. It's Justin Turner versus Joey Wendell. I honestly would, I say this is a tie, a tie. Yeah, I I love I have. Go ahead. (laughs) I love I love Wendell both as a defender, and I think he's a very David Eckstein type hitter where he will grind out at bats and very much just get on base any way he can. Um, very weird to look at. Uh, Justin Turner seems to be very heating up, but I I don't know why. It's just I don't really trust him anymore. It's just there's a gut feeling tells me that he really. I feel like when it gets to the World Series, Justin Turner hasn't really been that good. He's never really years. produced in the World Series, even though he's been in three of the last four. Or I guess he will soon be in. He's been two of the last three at this point. But yeah, I also uh, take the race by a little bit. Joey Wendell is the main guy there. Mike Brousseau is going to play a little bit of third. He might play a little bit of first. He might play a little bit of DH. And obviously he like hit that home run off of Chapman to win the ALCS for the Rays. But yeah, I... Like I said, give the advantage to the Rays by a little bit. 
Turner has been, like you said, really good this postseason, but Joey Wendell has been making incredible plays up and down the diamond. Unlike other race infielders, he actually is in the 89th percentile of Baseball Savant's defensive ranking, which is real impressive. And once again, not that great of a hitter. Once again, he's been fine in the playoffs, and I kind of just like him. Like, Willie Adamas, who we're going to talk about in a second, I'm sure, the Rays shortstop, he and Adamas have just made incredible plays. There was one, there have been like, they've routinely turned these plays where you have a very high chance for a hit into and out just by these diving stops, these incredible flips. It's been just kind of wonderful to see, except if you're hoping that the guy on the Astros gets to first base before the throw, which really hasn't been happening, which wasn't happening all that much. So Wendell has seemed to me almost like the key. Uh, he, Dusty Baker was talking about him as one of the best third basemen, not only in the game right now, but comparing him to guys like Brooks Robinson as one of the best uh, players he's ever seen at the hot corner. Quick side note, do you follow on Twitter MLB Barrel Alert, MLB Ding Boomers and I am, Boinks? I am not and, on Twitter and... these days. I have not been on Twitter for most of the pandemic, but I also have never heard of that account. The, well, it's just, it's an it's an automated, um, there. it's just a couple of automated Twitter accounts whenever a ball with a high expected oh. batting average or expected slugging gets hit, it tells you the type of ball and the outcome or if it's very low expected and it ends up being a hit, yeah, it'll tell you that. Um, same thing, barrel alert with somebody barrels up a ball, home run alert. I I like follow those accounts religiously because I love them. I love seeing them, and I re- I retweet some of them that are like insane. Like wow, this had a nine a nine twenty expected batting average, and it was an out. It's like that seems like a retweet from me. So is Joey Wendell the kind of guy who shows up routinely on an account like that? No, Ozuna does. No, I mean, as far as uh, the guy who fields it, or maybe doesn't include the fielding. No, it doesn't include the fielding. Gotcha. Yeah. Marcelo Ozuna <laughs> is one of the unluckiest players in baseball, but he's also one of the slowest players, players in baseball. So I think there's a little bit of, I don't know, there's some interaction going on in there as, much, as hard as he hits the ball. Let's move to a landslide here. We got the shortstop position, Corey Seager versus Willie Adamas. It's obvious that Corey Seager has the advantage here. He's in another world right now, hitting wise. Adamus, his defense is okay. I wouldn't. I'm not over the moon about his defense, and he really hasn't hit anything this postseason. Yeah, that's the thing with Adamus. I think his maybe in the regular season his defense wasn't all that great, but I have enjoyed watching him play this postseason. If he's not quite as good as Wendell, but like he's made some phenomenal plays. He. If you're watching the games, you've got to admit. But Corey Seager, like Sam said earlier on the podcast, it's probably the MVP of the postseason at this point. He is barely striking out at all. He's got an insane slug percentage of 766. He's got a WRC plus of 189, which would have been the best in baseball this year behind, second best in baseball this year behind only one Soto. So that would be 89% better than the average hitter. And he has been so much fun to watch hitting home runs in and out he i believe he hit four was it four home runs in the nlcs five five home runs in the nlcs which is nuts and yeah Corey seager is also a good defender which so it's it's not really that close we love talking about Corey seager all this year what's crazy is that as good as he was then his obp is actually the exact same thus far on base percentage as it was in the regular season 
but his slugging percentage is nearly 200 points better. He has turned into like from one of the best guys in baseball to the best in all of MLB who's actually in the playoffs because unfortunately Juan Soto didn't make it this year. So yeah, Dodgers for sure a shortstop. It's not anywhere close. And I think he is the most likely. And well, I think Mookie Betts, if if there is if Corey Seager and Mookie Betts each have a very similar World Series, I think Mookie Betts takes it just for the name recognition. But in just the most likely player to get, get it based on how well he's going to perform, I think Corey Seager is absolutely your guy. Moving on to left field, um, it's very weird. We have A.J. Pollock or Jock Peterson versus ring around the Rosarana Randy. I think it's obvious here that there's a lot of home run power with Peterson from the left side and Pollock from the right side had a very good year um, power-wise, but Arena has Arena from the dead and is very much giving the advantage to Tampa Bay here with his offensive output. Yeah. Listen, A.J. Pollock was actually pretty decent this year in the games that he played. He was clearly an above-average hitter. He had a WRC plus of 132. But in this postseason, he hasn't been doing anything. He's been striking out a bunch, barely walking. His WRC plus is a 49, which is 51% worse than average. Well, meanwhile, Randy Rosarena is, I don't know, Ted Williams, Albert Pujols, whichever you want. His stats for this postseason actually compare very favorably with Albert Pujols' postseason stats, which is kind of nuts. It Clearly, it's like it's a little much because his batting average in balls in play is 424, which is very high. But he has been the best postseason hitter. Like we went in, mentioned Corey Seager for the NL. Randy Rosarena has been the best in baseball with the 244 WRC plus, which is 144% better than your average player. Seager's uh, selling percentage was a really good 766. Rosarena's is 855. He's got one more home run than Corey Seager. He's got better on base percentage by a lot too. His WOBA is insanely above 500, which doesn't even make sense, but he's nevertheless been amazing. His OPS is 1288, which would be one of the best in baseball history. One is one of the best in postseason history. So yeah, listen, if we wanted to compare like him to Mookie Betts, that would be really intriguing. Just like the same way that comparing the right fielder for the Rays Manny Margot to like AJ Pollock and Jock Peterson is kind of a med deal. But if we're going just in left field specifically, it's a Rosarena without a doubt. Un- it, an unbelievable story of, yeah. What's that insane thing about him? Like he got ripped during the pandemic by eating a bunch of chicken and rice and doing something like 300 push ups a day. But yeah, I mean, sure. If that's the way to become uh, the. Sh- the strongest man in baseball nowadays, then, I mean, sign me up. But, like, for that being something that people do. But I'm impressed. I'm glad that there at least was one person who took advantage of the pandemic time to become uh, Ted Williams Part 2. And it it being Randy Rosarena just kind of blows me away. Moving on to center field, we have kind of another not very impressive um, matchup here with Bellinger and Kiermaier. Obviously, Dodgers have the advantage here. Reigning MVP, who admittedly didn't have a good regular season, has turned it on as of late, starting to hit the ball. And even before that, he was very much making up for it because his defense was actually very good. 
Um, he was obviously he robbed the home run, and he's just very good in the outfield. Um, better than uh, I gave I give him credit for. Well, obviously not better than Kevin Kiermaier, but at the same time, yeah. I also have the Dodgers by a decent amount here. Bellinger, I mean, just because of everything in the past, you have to give it to him. We know that this season, he just wasn't having the same hitting results. He was hitting the ball on the ground more. He just was not hitting it as hard as he had in past years, which was really bad for him. He was not hitting fastballs at all, basically. But this postseason, he really has turned around. He had the home run that sent them, tie-breaking eighth-inning home run that sent them to the World Series against the Braves in Game 7. And... Yeah, he had the home run robbery. Obviously, yeah, Kevin Kiermaier plays probably the best defense of any center fielder in baseball right now with range for days and days and days. And he has kind of been hitting relatively well at the bottom of the Rays lineup. Like, he's got some doubles. He's got some triples. He, like, can hit the ball well, but it's sort of just, like, a little bit better than Jake Marisnik, really. And so Cody Bellinger is... Clearly the better player here. Cody Bellinger, I would not be at all surprised if he kept this hot hitting going into the World Series. He's been much more patient this postseason, walked way more, struck out way less, and yeah, he's the guy right now. And now to... Well, I fl- I first yeah. want to give a little bit of credit to Kiermaier for those insane catches that he made against the Astros. Yes, which I don't even know what you do at that at that point when you're like, oh, that's a double, oh. That might even be a triple. At the very least, it's a single. That's a home run. Maybe, maybe not. And none of them are. Yeah, yeah, it's unlucky. When, but yes, moving on to... The Rays, the Rays feel basically like they have 11 guys on the field at all times. Yes. Moving on to right field, it's another laugher here with Manny Margot and Mookie Betts. Obviously, Manny Margot is way better than Mookie Betts. Um, oh, as sorry. We always, as we say often. Yeah. No, in, in reality, Mookie Betts is... is Eons better than Margot, even though Margot hit garbage time home runs. Um and early home runs. I I wouldn't say many Margot just hits garbage time home runs. But Mookie Betts just is Margot's got a putting... one fifty nine WRC plus these playoffs. Yeah, because he's hitting <laughs> garbage time home runs. But you gotta keep going. Yeah, Mookie Betts just again, he had three insane catches in the outfield, all very different and at very different times. Um, yeah, he's... We haven't even seen him hit well this playoffs, and he's still being talked about as such a good player because of his defense. Can I throw a little water on this, just from a stat standpoint? Mookie yeah, Betts, are you going to tell me that his defensive metrics are bad? No, Mookie Betts obviously has been amazing defensively. He's like... It's almost like getting a hat trick or something in the way the catch that he's made. One shoestring catch, one to against the wall to rob a double, and then another in Game 7, top it off, robbing a home run just for the fun of it. But Mookie Betts kind of has a 378 batting average on balls in play during this postseason. The WRC Plus of about 20% lower than Margot. Well, Margot's WRC Plus is actually only 208. But obviously, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not close uh, because Mookie... As well, it's basically just more of a testament to like Margot actually hitting relatively well in this postseason than it is to Mookie Betts being bad because Mookie Betts is not bad. He slash he's hitting three eleven. He's got an OBP over four hundred. His slugging percentage is a little low. He has yet to hit a home run in the postseason so far, but he also has six doubles. So I expect him to keep going from here. 
Um, he's one of the best players in baseball. Many people will say that he is the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. And while I think that that is, oh, oh, as always, up for debate, I would not be surprised if he was. I mean, he's also got a nearly a 15% walk rate this postseason. He does it all at all points. He's the most well-rounded player in this series for sure. And I'm excited to see him on the biggest stage for the second time in three years. Moving on to round out the lineup, we have DH, which will be more more than likely Jock Peterson versus Austin Meadows. I have the advantages Tampa Bay here. Um, Neither have really been hitting that well. They each, I believe, have at least one home run in in this playoffs, but they haven't been doing anything else. Um, There's a chance that this is the spot that if, if one of those guys gets hot could be the difference in this World Series. Um, but they were really just not that great. So yeah. it, it, I would give it to Tampa Bay by a tiny bit, but honestly, none, neither of them really showed me anything. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of got the same deal here. Like we're probably going to see Randy or Azarena, maybe like against Clayton Kershaw, the DH spot. And, but we're also going to see Austin Meadows here, maybe against righties. Uh, Meadows, I think is fine. Peterson, I think is pretty good. I like what I've seen from Meadows. I think he hits relatively well, but also it's not the most impressive position by long shot for either team right here. So like we see a lot in baseball, you're going to see them go between a few different guys, especially the Dodgers. They throw in several different guys there at the DH slot. And isn't if the DH, if Austin Meadows gets hot, sure. That's the thing that could happen in the world. Series. If Jock Peterson gets hot, that's a thing that could happen in the World Series. It wouldn't, like, blow me away. But I don't know. It it doesn't really matter that much to me. And it's also someone who's really not going to be seeing the field all that much. Although, like we said, you're probably going to be seeing every single guy on the roster for both teams in these playoffs, in this World Series. So I am excited about that part. You're going to see, like, you, you, we are absolutely going to have some unknown uh, World Series heroes just suddenly burst onto the scene with, a late game home run or incredible game saving catch or a unbelievable like strike out of the side in the 10th inning or something like that. Yeah. I think the world series always has some unsung heroes. Yeah. Some people who no one expected to be this good, just seizing the day. So I think we should get into predictions here. What is your prediction for the world series? I think the Dodgers will win in six. I think they'll go up 2-0. They'll lose game three to Morton. They might lose Glasnow's second start. Um, the Dodgers might lose Glasnow's second start, but I think they'll win at least in six, maybe in five. All right. I have more faith in the Rays than that. I think these teams are relatively evenly matched. I, I do think the Dodgers are better. I look at the Rays, and while I do see some decent advantages, I don't see like the kind of advantage where it's like, oh, this Rays team really has in the bag or like is better. And so it's tough for me to put them over them but i also really like the Rays' pitching in this series and i don't trust the dodgers if, although the dodgers pitching has been enough to get them through so far i don't like teams that have to come back from three to one to win a series i would prefer the team that actually is able to go up 3-0 in the beginning because i feel like that's probably more indicative of their how good they are although the astros did quite probably throw literally throw two of those games that the Rays won away in games two and three with Altuve errors. My mind is telling me Dodgers in seven, 
My heart is telling me Raisin 7. I'm pretty positive it's going to go 7 after seeing some crazy NLCS series where they both went 7. Of course, it could be a really boring sweep in 4, but where's the fun in that? I'm going to go Raisin 7 and Charlie Morden, once again, unstoppable in a closeout game, as he as he often is. Who would be your World Series MVP? Uh, in a series where the Rays win in 7, I, I honestly... Morden? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be Charlie Morden. If he can win games three and seven and pitch as well as he has. He's been like incredible. These playoffs so far, his ERA is below one. Um, He would be my guy unless you have, I mean, of course you could have like a roster and I hit five bombs, but Morden's my guy in, he's my pick for world series MVP. For me, it would be Bueller. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing where he'll shut, just allow one run total in the two games he starts and just, not give the voters a choice. If the Dodgers win in six, then Bueller almost has to be winning games two and six. So I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I expect a great series. Um, I think it'll have a lot of really good ups and downs. I'm excited to watch all seven games of it. And I hope uh, everyone else is too. It's going to be a really fun one. It's going to be, it's two of the best, it's the two best teams in baseball. So it's going to be one of the best World Series we hope in a while, even as we have been pretty much blessed with really good series, World Series in the last several years. Any closing thoughts? Um, I, I mean, I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series at the start. Obviously, none of the other predictions that I made were good, but you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The Yankees not making it is something which is oh, so sad. But what yeah, can you do? Man. Both the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Astros fell short. So no, no, no. We got the Dodgers though. We got what we predicted. The Rays, I know a lot of people love before this season, and they have absolutely delivered. And as strange as the regular season was, I have loved the postseason. And I know you have too. And we'll see what happens. Talk to you guys next week.